0: Hey all and thanks for listening to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from around the Brussels bubble. In about two weeks from today, Italy will go to the polls to elect their next prime minister. And while we'll they have elections plenty, this year's Italian general election has plenty of interesting talking points and events which seem ripe to influence the political discourse, both inside Italy and outside of it. So joining me today to make sense of this election cycle is Laura. Laura, tell me a bit about yourself. How, how do you find yourself in this room?
1: Well, hi, Simon, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Laura. Um, I am based in Brussels, and I work as a as network and delivery manager for Democratic Society, which is an NGO that uh, focuses on citizen engagement initiatives and trying to bring citizens closer to their politicians. But on the side, I also write a newsletter, which I've just begun recently, actually, uh, on Italian elections, because I see that there is quite a lot of information going around on the Italian elections at the moment. And I just wanted to make sense of it and um, provide readers with a bit more clarity <laughs> about what's going on.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Because I, I myself have been reading your newsletter quite intently for the last few weeks, and I'm just surprised at how much stuff is in there. Because I, I think we were mentioning before we started recording, there's always like two or three paragraphs of just context behind everything happening. And it's, it's quite invigorating to see I guess the full picture in that sense. And and to those who want to see the newsletter, I'm going to link in the description. So please check that out. So, what do you think about Italian elections in general? Because for me, as, because I'm going to admit I'm no expert about Italian elections, my stereotypical view of Italian elections is they happen every six months and this should be a recurring segment on my show. How, uh, why do you think that perception exists?
1: Uh, Well, uh, it's a good question because Italian elections, uh, they're supposed to be happening every five years, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we have seen them happening a lot more regularly than they should be happening. And that's because the, the government just tends to fall very often because of many internal disagreements. This, this is not the first time that the Italian government has experienced an internal discrepancy amongst all the political parties that there exist, because historically it has been quite devised, divisive. But there are some differences, of course, because this is the first time that we are seeing an election with a new reform in which we're going to see less members of parliament being elected. Um, so we're going to see approximately... The, both the chamber and the Senate being uh, halved, in a sense. And this election is happening also during very critical times. We're seeing um, this happening during an energy crisis caused by a war. We're seeing it happening at the coattails of a pandemic, also during and within yeah. a pandemic. So there is a lot happening in these elections that make it rather unique compared to other ones, actually.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting time to observe these elections happening because even, I mean, the Swedish elections are probably going to be, I think, done and over by the time people listen to this podcast and just all the other the host of elections coming up. They're all really situating a unique moment of history, especially with the Ukraine situation and the energy crisis and all the other topics you'll hear on this podcast soon about But uh the way I wanted to frame this podcast after the nice preamble you gave there, Laura, was I wanted to kind of focus around three bigger questions, which have been plaguing my mind as, as I've been looking at this topic. Firstly, why do we have an election now in Italy? Secondly, what's different about this election, um, like fundamentally and candidates-wise? And third, what we're going to remember about this election in a few years to come? So I think given that, let's hop right into the first really point and And I'm going to ask you, why is there an election now? Can you give some background, some context? What What's up, I guess?
1: Okay, yeah. So why is it happening now? Well, um, the months of uh, July and August, I guess the months of the summer have been very hectic because the, the government that was uh, ruled by Draghi fell uh, due to the fact that while he was given confidence and he was voted for confidence in in the government by most of the, of, of the parties there about a particular a particular uh, law that he wanted to pass he was he he was not feeling like the majority of the parliament was being behind was behind him um, this happened mostly because of the five star movement which as a party is quite let's say more populist than others and it has been quite skeptical of the way that Draghi has been uh, governing so far mostly because Draghi, he wanted to introduce, amongst other things, particularly d- during these critical times, a sort of um, a trash incinerator, but I can't think <laughs> of the right term to say it.
0: I, I think that's about correct. So.
1: Yeah, let's um, just call it a, a garbage incinerator yeah. um, in Rome, um, in order to sort of generate more power. And there was, this was one of the things that he proposed as part of this new set of packages of, of laws, and the Five Star Movement was completely against it. So in July, uh, one day, he decided to give a speech to the whole of the Senate, basically telling everyone, are you with me on this? Are you still uh, going to you know, c- confide in me to be your prime minister? And while he still received a majority of votes, the Five Star Movement did not really agree with that. And so he decided to resign. And now the president of the republic, uh, Sergio Mattarella, he basically told him, no, please come back, do not resign, (laughs) Um, because you still have the confidence and you still are doing a relatively good job. Um, But Draghi was quite uh, stern about it because he said, if I don't feel that I have the confidence of the entire majority of my own um, coalition to support me, I don't think I should continue governing this, this country. And so he resigned. And now there is a time frame between when a government falls and when new elections come in that uh, entails that they have about a month and a half before new elections uh, come in and before, you know, you can establish a sort of new government. So essentially now parties have taken this as a cue to start coming up with new programs, trying to make sure that there is a clear... A, a clear line coming through to this so uh, this is what the scenario brought upon uh, a new well yeah sort of parties coming in and sort of uh, displaying their programs uh, up until this time
0: interesting interesting it feels like a small issue that just compounded out of control because somebody didn't see the causes but what do you think of his decision because I know you're you're by by profession you're more involved democracy do you think that it was honorable of him, per se, to, you know, resign. Do you think it was the right thing to do?
1: Unfortunately, yes, <laughs> I agree. Um, I think he, he he just really wanted to um, uphold his beliefs. Mm. Um, and he is just someone with a lot of integrity. And so he didn't want to give that up, knowing that there was a few politicians in there who did not necessarily agree with what he was doing. Yeah, And so... I think that for the benefit of democracy, he really is one of the few people I have seen in Italian politics who has actually upheld <laughs> a very honest stance, which, granted, wasn't ideal, especially during this time. In fact, I'm, I'm very, very sad yeah. about this, um, because for, for, for a moment there, uh, Italy was being given the reputation that it really stands up to, you know? Um, but, uh, I absolutely respect his decision, um, despite the fact that it came at such a critical time.
0: It seems like a real devil's bargain from, I guess, your stance, I suppose, you know, because especially seeing the candidates that are rising nowadays, but uh, we'll get to those in a second. And I, I just kind of wanted to ask, um, how do, I mean, not you particularly, but how do Italians in general just feel about this election? Do, do you feel like this election was necessary or is it just another, you know, tiresome thing you do every year?
1: So, yeah, I think that citizens in Italy are more torn than ever Mm. these days. You can see that in the polls. Um, About 22 to 40 percent, and I'm not saying here a specific number because resources are all very different, but they are undecided. They don't know who to vote for. Um, And that may be just due to a lack of clarity about what are the actual promises that are being made these days especially because I don't blame these parties for, you know, not coming up with clear politics and clear policies, because it is so sudden, and it is so um, rushed, that it's just trying to come up with a solid energy policy (laughs) these days, is a challenge and a half. And so, I mean, I think people are just so uncertain, especially the younger generation. They don't see themselves represented at all, and mm. we are seeing the same old people that we have seen in the past. And here I may sound kind of cynical, but uh, we are seeing people that have already been in elections in 2018, for example.
0: Yeah, no, because I, I mean, everybody's still joking about how I think Berlusconi he's still running, right? Um, or uh, I think I got his name right. I'm not the greatest Italian pronunciations, just <laughs> gonna get that on in the record, but. It's just funny how you keep digging up these remnants of the past, you know, give them another go. But I, I, I kind of want to transition now because we're kind of established why now at the election, or or more why not now, I suppose, in a more lackadaisical sense. But uh, I kind of want to also pro, pride at what's different this time around. Because as we're hinting at and as a hinted at introduction, I, I do think that this Italian election does have a bit more poignancy or a bit more urgency behind it, especially from, I guess, the Brussels perspective where we're watching the events unfold. So. What what are the election issues dominating the scene?
1: Okay, yeah. So, um, as I mentioned earlier briefly, I think the most pressing issue at the moment, and we're seeing this also at European level, is really the um, energy crisis and the defense and security issue. Right now, uh, as we are seeing, developments continue to unfold regarding um, um, gas prices and also regarding what does it mean to be on a united front in the European Union which also affects how things are being um, framed in Italy itself. So, po- political parties are now grappling with how to prioritize, like wh- what things to prioritize uh, in terms of how they frame the- this election. Should they talk about policy on a more uh, European perspective, or should they talk about it more on a national perspective? And here is where we see clear distinc- distinctions between different parties. For example. If we're looking at the center-left coalition, and I mean, I can get, I can go into the sort of way that the center-left and the center-right and the rest of the parties are uh, structured at the moment. For example, the center-left... Includes the Social Democratic Party, um, it includes uh, the left and the Greens, it includes plus Europe amongst the most important and the most uh, vo- yeah, uh, prevalent parties. They are quite pro-European in that they believe on a united front and the fact that it's quite important to continue on, co- uh, on, on having this uh, uh, sort of um, integrated policy towards energy. And that entails, you know, common uh, gas price ceilings around Europe. They also want to continue the legacy that Draghi created um, because they really believed that what he was doing was good work. And that was also what he advocated for. On the other hand, we have the center-right coalition, uh, which has, amongst others, Forza Italia, which was obviously driven by Berlusconi, uh, Fratelli d'Italia, uh, which is uh, whose lead is Giorgia Meloni, Uh, Lega, which is uh, uh, Salvini's um, party, um, and then other ones that are more minor. And they tend to be a little bit more skeptical regarding European unity. Mm. They don't think that having a common front is going to benefit them. They think that there are still countries that will make their own interests when it comes to setting gas prices. And they think that um, the European Recovery Fund is still disadvantaging them or somehow it needs to be revised. Um, and then you have a new entrant here, which is not really new because it's kind of like a recycled version of the left, I would say, left of center party. You have Matteo Renzi's uh, Italia Viva and you have Carlo Calenda's Azione. Now if all of this sounds kind of confusing, <laughs> I understand there's a lot of people coming in. Um, and that's the so-called third poll. The third poll tries to center itself as a sort of up-and-coming liberal force, mm. uh, which is also backed up by Renew Europe at uh, the European Parliament. And they want to sort of frame themselves as this anti-partisan uh, new partnership. But it's not exactly the Five Star Movement, which is like, you know, totally anti-political faction. But yeah. rather, they want to still continue preserving that some of that... Yeah, some of that pro-European value and, and so on, and sort of some of those traditional values, I would say. And then the Five Star Movement is kind of running on its own, and they are totally pro-environmental and pro-renewable um, you know, uh, renewable energy, but also totally against using or drilling new gas um, plants, uh, or not gas plants, I guess, gas. So, so actually, yes, extracting gas. So as you can see, those are the things that kind of are div- are, are quite dividing them, um, and you can kind of see that there is quite a pro-European stance on energy po- policies, but also more of a yeah national let's keep our own interest um, position there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting as you were going through this. This I guess quick and a rather broad overview of all the little parties and stuff going on. And I mean, if, if people want to know more in detail, I, I assume your newsletter is a great place to start. But uh, it was interesting to kind of connect that to what you were saying earlier about how Italians feel a bit more, I guess, disenfranchised perhaps from the elections going on, which we're seeing with the, the larger numbers of people who are uncertain of what they're doing. Do you think that's because the driving force behind the rifts in this election is more... I guess, focused on issues abroad or commitments towards the EU or just, you know, the whole situation abroad rather than domestic issues, which seem, I guess, people like, oh, rising prices, less jobs, less employment, houses are unaffordable, all these revised talking points, and they seem to be a bit more distant from the rhetoric. Do you think that's a phenomenon going on or is it simply just, I don't know, the exhaustion?
1: I don't think it has to do with uh, whether policymaking is is being taken on a rather national versus pro or less European um, frame. I think it has to do with people not understanding um, how this is going to affect them in the long Mm. term. Or, you know, some of the points that have been made in these policies are really quite broad. They don't go in depth about what they mean. Some yeah. of them, some of these parties say, yeah, let's create some new regasification plants, uh, floaty regasification plants by uh, near, near the port near Rome. Um, let's, um, I don't know, let's introduce a new trash burning uh, plant. Or let's cap the gas prices uh, in such and such way by decoupling it from electricity. It all gets very confusing, and you know you need to be quite an energy expert to understand how is this going to affect you. Because in the meantime, you're as a citizen, you are being bombarded with information about how your situation this winter is going to suck. Like you're bombarded with how much you're going to have to reduce your gas. Uh, sorry, reduce uh, uh, the temperature in your house this winter and how you're going to have to find ways to save money because the price of your bills is increasing 30-fold. So, people are genuinely confused because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And that creates so much unclearity in the decision that you want to make for yourself about how how is this going to affect me and how is my vote going to count, you know? Because mm-hmm. it is not clear.
0: Yeah. And I think in the, in, the, in the wake of this uncertainty, we've seen some new candidates enter enter the fray, so to say, uh, and one of those who we haven't really mentioned up till now is, of course, Giorgio Maloney, who leads uh, the Brothers of Italy, or the Italian Brotherhood, or as you say in, in Italy, it's the, d- the Fratelli d'Italia. There we go. Uh, thank you. But uh, th- what's really grabbing headlines is that she's, uh, I think today she was pulling around 25% of popular vote, something like that, which from what I understand is pretty pretty huge for Italy or Italian politics mm-hmm. and is making her the front runner. Yep. Do you want to explain a bit about what precipitated her rise and, I guess, why she's such a talking point these days and what implications that might have for Europe? Yeah.
1: So, um to be perfectly honest with you, I am asking myself this question every day, mm. because we have seen other sort of like, yeah, more right-wing parties um, ascend to to the greatest amount of votes in the past because of their populist rhetoric. I mean, we've seen in twenty eighteen how Matteo Salvini created a very strong anti-immigration and also flat tax rhetoric. Uh, to convince voters of what's best for them. And that was a little clearer because he really promised, you know, having a flat tax is going to, you know, solve all your problems um, if you are, you know, earning, like, very little money every year. Uh, He created a very strong rhetoric against immigration. and, um, and, And that kind of gave him that sort of popularity as well by also creating very simple messages that then got carried across in, in most of Italy. And then he got most of the votes, I would say, uh, like mostly from Northern Italy, but also some parts of the South, um, mainly targeting entrepreneurs and so on. This time around, we are seeing Giorgia Meloni, who has very, very strong Italian identity prioritization in her policies. She wants to protect the interests of the Italians by saying, we need to protect the production of made-in-Italy products. Um, Still very strong on immigration, against immigration. (laughs) Some may find that she would probably be classified these days as stemming from a neo-fascist regime coming from the 1950s because basically her party kind of like... uh, Takes that legacy. I think there is a very nuanced discussion there. The international community, I think, is, covers it in I think a, a bit more simply in a more simplified way. I think that there is quite a lot to um, uh, to go through to kind of create this distinction about whether this is like neo fascist or not. But anyway, uh, close parenthesis. Um, so yeah, I think uh, right now her main strategy is really creating a a divisive politic as well by basically saying we are better than them. We are there to kind of like, you know, express what we want in a very vocal way. uh, And and she has a great communication strategy in that way, because I have to admit, it is quite entertaining to watch her speak. (laughs) (laughs) And also by creating this very divisive politic by saying, oh, okay, like, you know the 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 previous government wasn't you know as effective or the the left uh the left of center parties are completely divided between themselves it makes you think okay i'm going to vote for her not because she promises me anything that's quite good for me but because she seems to be the most convinced about what she's saying mm. and um unfortunately for her however uh upon, up until recently the center right coalition was Looked like the most united uh, coalition of all the Italian parties. Yeah. You had, uh, like I said, like the Lega, Fratelli Italia, Forza Italia. They seem to be quite on a united front. They have a common program, but until recently, they've been divided because um, uh, Matteo Salvini vocally said that we need to um, remove sanctions from Russia, mm-hmm. which became a huge bombshell in the inter- in the conversation on Italian elections sparked a lot of outrage. He says, sanctions aren't working. Um, Russia will continue putting the countries on his knees, his words. And Giorgia Meloni, like, put her hands in her hair because she said, what are you doing? This is, no, stop. Like, she was very, I mean, it's one of the things that they started to have disagreements upon. And I think that lost Lega quite a lot of points, and, and the strength that Giorgia Menoni has had up until now, I think, was also backed up by the fact that her coalition was really quite united and they seem to be quite strong together. Yeah. And I don't know if this might still affect her um, reputation or the coalition's reputation until the elections because of this perceived discrepancy that is now showing between those, which mm-hmm. was exactly what they criticized the center left off. True. So I think her, her rise, I think, has been a combination of a very powerful, um, divisive rhetoric uh, coupled with the um, sort of initially united front that her coalition had up until now. But we will see.
0: Yeah. All I'm going to say this. This really sounds like Italian politics. So, <laughs> but <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's
1: been it's been quite uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite a, a recurring pattern, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I'd love to dive a bit more into Maloney and, and her, her rhetoric and really what gives her some, some vitriol on the stage. But uh, I think we're going to pause a little and shift towards our final questions because we're, we're rapidly eating up our time here. But I, I still wanted to kind of ask uh, the what will remember question about if we can even look to predict this election, which I think is aiming more towards center-right. But what, what you've been saying, it seems a bit more up in the air now, but I'm not going to make any predictions because as a political science graduate i cannot make predictions but uh, regardless i wanted to ask what do you think we'll remember in a year or so um especially i guess situated here in the brussels bubble for instance what do you think the impact will be the, the ripples from this election
1: i think what we're going to remember is going to be a very yeah an election that has been in the making and sort of building itself uh, until the very moment the last the very last moment Um, because of the very, very quick developments that are happening um, and because of the sort of the changing circumstances both for Italy and for for, for Europe and the EU in in light of the war happening at the moment, I think we're also going to remember that there is still this promise of a nonpartisan but also slightly more emerging partnership there, which is the third pole, like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, sort of making an appearance now and it's kind of actually gathering some more votes as we speak um, because it's been, now it's at something like 7% of the uh, sort of voter, uh, how do you say, like voter agreement. And it's also backed up by the European Parliament group called Reno Europe. um, And they sort of want to sort of show themselves as this, you know, up-and-coming promise that continues the Draghi legacy. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the things that we will remember. Um, Maybe it's too early to tell. Yeah. But I think that in in general, (laughs) we will remember this as probably, I would say the election with the fastest program creation ever made up -hmm. until the last minute. And also the election with the most uncertainty, probably. And I mean, hopefully on a more positive tone, an election where people are gonna wake up from sort of a more bipartisan point of view and embracing a more sort of uh, belief point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of like trying to get away from, are you from the left? Are you from the right? uh, Are you this or that? And trying to embrace more what they really believe about themselves and about, you know, how they would like to see the world and their country. And, yes, I think that the next two weeks are going to be very interesting uh, because so much will still happen.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I suppose when you talk about fast elections, they can also crash to an end really quickly. And do you think it could be a possibility that especially people are voting more from their beliefs that perhaps this election won't pass? I I believe in a few months time, the party, the winning party has to submit their budget propositions. And if that fails, you can be thrust into another electoral cycle. Do you think that these results can hold from how it's shaping up? Or is this something that you're not even going to, you know, you don't even want to get into?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good question, honestly, because I have no idea if this is actually something that will be holding. Um, Or the other risk being that once the the elections are won, that parties will suddenly start agreeing with each other again. And then they will start creating new coalitions that weren't there before. I mean that's the massive risk here because that's something that always has also happened. Is this kind of, um, you know, fighting until the, until death until the last moment of the, of the elections and then everybody becomes friends again. So I hope that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah.
1: And according to the third poll, that's <laughs> not going to happen. They are seemingly quite. They have quite a lot of integrity when it comes to that, and yeah. I would like to to believe that. I also would like to believe that the the social democrats are going to pull themselves together because they've also had quite a reputation for being divisive within their own um, parties. But uh, I, I hope that they will come around and really try to continue staying as true to themselves as
0: possible. Mm. I think one thing we've left out so far, or at least from our, mm-hmm. my initial question here, was what does this mean for Europe? Because I think there's a lot of rhetoric, too, or at least I've been reading a lot about how the Brotherhood, which are inching up in the polls, Maloney at the lead, how they're very close to their Polish and Hungarian right wing counterparts. Do you think that can cause any troubles here from, I guess, a Brussels centric perspective? Can we see, I guess, the right, I suppose, uniting a bit more in a European front? And does that spell larger worries than we've had to face before in the European context?
1: Yeah, I'm afraid that um, if if we see a win from Fratelli d'Italia, this will definitely create probably um, a closer sort of right-wing bloc <laughs> in Italy. Mm. Because let's face it, it is a right-wing party, I think. And what does that mean for Europe? I think it means that it's going to be difficult trying to find, again, that common front that we've all been meaning to have. I mean, Ursula von der Leyen is trying now to establish a common energy policy and trying to create a common uh, gas price ceiling. And if this rhetoric continues, I think it's going to be so hard to try, especially after the elections, to create that sort of united front in Europe. And so I think it's going to have quite a lot of impact on the EU um, and Europe in general, if it, if, it, if it ever came to that. I mean, we're seeing how hard it is right now already. And we've seen how hard it's been to, to continue passing six packages of sanctions on Europe. It's been, it's been such an effort to convince everyone to be in the same boat. So imagine if this happens, how much more difficult is it going to get?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't even want to match that, so I'm going to let that linger as a somewhat of an aftertaste here. But speaking of unpleasant aftertaste, I think one of the issues that have been kind of brought up by this election, and I promise this is the last, I guess, deep issue I want to get into, is I also want to touch a bit upon gender and the roles played in the election, because it is quite unprecedented that Maloney is set to become, I suppose, the first female prime minister of Italy, if everything goes, as the polls show. And a lot of people are not thinking this is a very good victory for feminism and these policies in general. Do you want to elaborate a bit upon that and kind of explain the, I guess, difficult situation this is in? Because, I I mean, you are a woman and you're an Italian woman, so I don't really? know if you have any <laughs> more passionate takes on this than, than I do.
1: Yeah, I, Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to see a female prime minister in Italy, and unfortunately, I mean, this is not the kind of example I was hoping to have, um, because, yeah, in terms of feminism, I think we can't really say that Giorgia Meloni holds a lot of those beliefs within uh, her, her, yeah, within her pro- her program and within and, and within her rhetoric. I mean, first of all, the the their program in Forza Italia doesn't really have so much that can sort of Bridge the gender gap, both on the job and in other contexts. Um, certainly, there is a lot about how much advantages women are going to get once they become mums, once they become mothers, because that's kind of the role that they're favoring at the moment. You know, it's very the much more traditional. Have, yes, yeah. uh, the more you know, the, the the more babies you make, the more tax uh, reductions you get, and all that stuff, which. I mean, obviously, it's very important. It's very useful. But I'm not seeing anything about, for example, how to bridge a a pay gap, how to bridge, uh, you know, how to make sure that uh, women get paid equally on the job or there is nothing about abortion rights. There is nothing about even the LGBTQ community, which I think goes hand in hand also um, with feminism and also with, uh, you know, the way that, women's roles are seen also together with the LGBTQ community, for example. And so, I mean, even up until recently, there has been a, uh, a news uh, piece uh, in which a dad basically proudly said how he is single and he just adopted a, a, little, a little baby girl who had Down syndrome. And you know, said we are a normal family. You know, and she says, I only see a family with a mother and a father. And what mm-hmm. you're doing right now is not—it's con- not—it's not sort of aligned with with this kind of 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 tradition that I believe in. And that scares me because I see that this is so—I uh, don't know—it it doesn't leave space for for progressive policies for that that protect. Not only women, but also the LGBTQ community, or also um, uh, other people with other abilities. You know, it is so, it is so far from what we could be doing right now. I think that, for example, the the left center po- coalitions tend to be a little bit more, you know, oriented towards being more inclusive of of human rights and especially women's rights. Um, But even then, I'm still lacking a lot of more detail regarding some of the specific policies.
0: Yeah. No, I I thought it was kind of ironic when doing my research that the party of the female candidate, the first female candidate, is called the Brotherhood for Italy. Ah, for sure. So, but uh, I think that just about wraps it up. And I hope this was not too much of a whirlwind look into Italian politics. But then again, all looks into Italian politics are whirlwinds, so... But I do want to finish up by, you know, asking you know, fun or personal question as we end, which is semi-related. So I just want to know, Laura. Imagine you could take any political candidate, whatsoever, from anywhere in the world, and have them run in Italy. Who would you want to see run in Italy, <laughs> <laughs> dead or alive? You know,
1: um, that's a very good question. Um, I have to say, okay, um, I have recently come across Portugal's um, policies and progressive politics at the okay. moment and I I genuinely think and I don't know the, po- the politician very well but the but but Portugal's Prime Minister Costa I think he is um he we, we actually just came back from Portugal and and I and I saw just how progressive their laws are at the moment hmm. both in terms of legalizing abortion and decriminalizing drugs and uh and and in general, just having a very pro- like very progressive uh, politics in their own country. I mean, they took a problem that was, you know, drug use and drug abuse, and they turned it around. And now it's just, yeah, I mean, drugs are decriminalized there, but there is a very low rate of usage. And it seems like instead of just you know, um, belittling and antagonizing people that have certain um, tendencies and issues. They just, instead of actually antagonizing them, they really want to welcome them in their system. And I just, I don't know, I think that 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 would be a very, you know, what we would need in Italy right now, like more of a progressive point of view in politics
0: for me it's always been i'm a very systemic thinker where if there's an issue that people are really criticizing for me most of the time the issue is actually a systemic issue that you need to address and i feel like really not revolutionary but transformative policies like those i think have a greater chance of having at least some kind of noticeable impact but who knows i'm not here to judge (laughs) i'm no expert on (laughs) portugal (laughs) but i I think that kind of wraps up our, our little episode here pretty well um I'm glad to have you on, Lori. because it was a lot of fun, and I hope people do really check out your newsletter, because it's been a, a pretty good and concise and informative source for me over the last few weeks. So, I Thank encourage you so you much to for having me. Check, uh,
1: yeah, thanks for, you know, making, yeah, just enabling the... Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to say just thank you very much.
0: <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, yeah, and if you, the listener, would like to be one on these podcasts, please, uh, I think I have an email link in the description, please shoot me up. Let me know what story you would like to tell or what you would like to talk about, because I'm always looking for new people to talk with. And yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Stay tuned for next week. We'll be looking at the State of the Union speech by von der Leyen. So see you guys all next week. Bye.
1: Bye.